Good morning, everyone. Let's stand together and begin our service today. We're going to sing praises to God. And remember that God is holy. We're going to sing, Holy is the Lord. Each one of you, please be seated. We're so thankful that God is holy. He is sovereign in control of all the things, despite all that's going on in the world, uh, here and abroad. Um, God is in control. He is the sovereign, the creator of all things. And as his children, we can trust him and we can rejoice in him. The joy of the Lord is, is our strength, the Bible says. And he gives us peace that passes understanding. If we have trouble, we go to him in prayer and we pray and we thank God for his power and love and 
care for us and that he can take care of all situations. Because you know what? We know where we're going. No matter what happens down here, we're not going to be stuck down here forever. If, if we live long enough to die, does that sound right? Then, then, then we're going to go be with the Lord, right? And, and if, we, if we live long enough and don't die, then he's going to come get us as his children. So hallelujah. All right. Amen. Who's, who's coming up with us today? Is it Jasper? Come on up, Jasper. We love Jasper. Let's give him a hand. He's so wonderful. Thank you. Just a quick announcement to those who are watching online. Once again, we have additional rooms for smaller setting and 108 masses required. To our guests, if this is your first time, we encourage you to fill out our guest registration card. We want to know you more, and we want to minister to you more effectively. And we pray that you will continue to help us by um, signing it and giving us information because Pastor Lynn needs it for more information and so that he could contact you and send you a more invitation and uh, more stuff to do. So, and um, to those who are, um, if you have your phone, we encourage you to turn it off or put it in a silent mode so that we will not be able to disturb uh, as we continue to worship the Lord. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, wonderful morning that you've given to us. It reminds us of your faithfulness every day. Indeed, Lord, you are the God who never changed. You are the God who is uh, kind of deny yourself that you are a faithful God, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Father, we commit to you our service this morning. Lord, give us a right heart and a right spirit. Remove everything that hinder us from knowing you and doing your will, because we believe that you are the God who give us another chance, another opportunity for us to fulfill uh, what your word says, and above all, to be conformed to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us at the moment, we accepted you as Lord and Savior. And by your grace, Lord, we pray that we'll be able to accomplish what you want us to do as individuals, and as a church, as a family. And Father, we believe that you are the God that is holy as what the song says and father we come before you through the account of the lord jesus christ not having our own righteousness but the righteousness of your son the lord jesus christ as our lord and savior in christ name we pray amen amen this song talks about we stand amazed in the presence of jesus the nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Only by the grace of God are we accepted into his presence through the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it, but God loves us. We stand in awe. We stand amazed at his love. Let's sing, I stand amazed in the presence. Well, let's just go ahead and stand since we're singing about it. If you like. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned on Shall I? 
so much please be seated you know there, there are some people who say well I don't think hymns are relevant anymore those are the probably the same attitude of people who say well the Old Testament's really not relevant anymore part of the Word of God is you know obsolete now we just we just need the new stuff well that's not true God's Word is God's Word and worship music is worship music and I don't think we should let it slip away such powerful messages that we have in old and new that's right we're going to sing a song uh this is from <laughs> 1982 this is called more precious than silver Costly 
And nothing I desire compares with you. Who can weigh the value of knowing you? Who can judge the worth of who? I was young, and now I'm old. Yet, I have never seen... Yet, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. After Wendell passed away, I knew it was going to be very difficult for me to pay all my bills. I got a telephone call letting me know that I had been accepted in, by Mission Dignity, it was such a burden lifted off of my shoulders. And there are no words really to 
explain what Mission Dignity has meant to me. As uh, Hispanic pastors, we, we struggle a lot. When we first uh, learned uh, about Mission Dignity, we were very, very, very happy. What I thought is that somebody cares. Somebody cares after all these years of service, uh, somebody is giving us a hand. For several years, the little church we started didn't pay us anything. And yet we felt that's where God wanted us and where we were supposed to be. And so you do it because of the calling, not because of the money. Knowing that Mission Dignity is there is just us a great peace. Takes a lot of stress off. Mission Dignity serves more than 2,500 retirement-aged ministers, workers, and widows as they face advancing age, illness, infirmity, death of a spouse, and even natural disasters. Through it all, we provide constant care, prayer, and financial assistance directly at the point of need. Thank you for giving to Mission Dignity. You make a big difference in our daily lives. Thank you. God bless you for all that you do for us. Good morning, Tucson Mountain. You're awake. In your worship folders, you will find a small envelope for Mission Dignity. Please give to that. That is an important part of our missions and giving. But if you would do that, you have an explanation on the inside of your bulletin and also on the envelope about some of the things they take care of. And you just saw a brief video about that. But I just want you guys to really pray about this. If you don't have the funds to give today, or a check, or whatever, however you typically give, that's fine. Just take this home with you, take care of it, and you can give directly to Mission Dignity. If you give through the church, we'll make sure you get back a donation slip, and that'll be tied back into your regular donations. If you give to these guys, you'll have to make sure you get one from them. It'll come separate, okay? Just keep that in mind. Well... We are still in John. You guys getting tired of John yet? No. Oh, good. All right. We, before last, we talked to you a little bit about spiritual breathing. And we gave you some insight into what spiritual breathing really meant. We said when you commit a sin, you were to breathe out to recognize that you're forgiven. And what God has done for us individually. And when you breathe in... It's reminding you that the Holy Spirit is living in you and a part of you. And how that fills you each time you breathe in. So you breathe out to remember you're forgiven. And you're to breathe in to remember you're filled with the Spirit. I just wanted to touch on that for a minute because I got to thinking about this last week. And I said, you know, there's a danger that maybe some of us will get a type of spiritual hyperventilation. Breathing in and out so hard. And you have to be real careful because if you're breathing out way too much because you're sinning a lot, you're allowed to pass out. So I just wanted to put that before you this morning before we started your regular message because I got to thinking about that real hard this week. So let me ask you a question here this morning. Do you ever get up 
and you have sort of this apathetic feeling about the day? Is it, do you wake up and say, oh, good Lord, it's morning? <laughs> or, good morning, Lord. How do you wake up in the morning? Sometimes we have to remember. Sometimes we need to wake up and say, good morning, Lord. Not, oh, Lord, it's morning. <coughs> we have to remember that. Some of the words we're looking at today, these are the last words that Jesus is saying to his apostles, the disciples, before he leaves and goes to the cross. These are his parting words. And it's important we understand what these words mean, I believe. So, as we look at this, I want us to all be able to leave here with a little more joy. Because that's what he's really talking to him about this morning. He's talking to him about joy. And the songs that these guys put together, everything fits together so nicely. I really want you to get the full concept and principle of what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. What he was trying to get the apostles to understand. So I gave you a little questionnaire at the top of your paper. It says, which of these words best describes a typical Christian today? Secure, burdened, peaceful, worried, uptight, pressured, stressed, or joyful? What a mix, right? But do you realize that most Christians are a combination of those things? How can that be? How can I have joy and also have worry? How can I have peace but also be so stressed out I can't think straight? It's an oxymoron in a way, but it doesn't really make any sense. Here's the problem. I think we as Christians... We as believers are often just as uptight as the unbelievers in the rest of the world is sometimes. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I want for you. I come to bring you joy. Along with the other gifts that I'm giving you, I come to make sure you have joy. So he's going to talk to us about that a little bit this morning. You know, here's the real problem. I think as believers, when we become believers we get a whole different set of stresses than what the world has. We have some of the same, but we also get some different ones. Think about this. How are the, what is the way, when you were a non-believer, that you dealt with some things when stressors came into your life? Well, it could be all kinds of things. It could be drugs, alcohol, sex. It could be escapism, and we're going to talk about some of those. But you know what? Jesus says, that's not what I want for you in your life. The joy of the Lord is the difference between someone who is apathetic and has anxiety all day long and it's versus the person who has the joy of the Lord in his heart and is experiencing that joy. Jesus is going to talk to us about that. It's the kind of excitement that doesn't disappoint and it doesn't disappear. He's trying to move us from where we are at to where he wants us to be. And he's trying to do the same things with apostles. But there's a process that's going to take place. Look at John 16, 16 through 20 with me. In a little while, now you have to listen carefully to these words. Because it's, it's like a three-sided conversation. It's going back and forth, back and forth. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more? Then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? 
we don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. I told you several weeks ago that he's having this walking, talking conversation as they're leaving the upper room and they're going through the Garden of Gethsemane and they're going to the garden so that he can pray. And he's having this conversation with them and all these things are being said. And he's basically saying, listen, I want you to understand that the joy of the Lord is possible for you. But the rest of the world is going to look at it differently. Now, there's three particular things. There's three basic requirements to this joy. And we have to think about these. Number one, I need to understand the process. I need to understand the process. How does God get this joy into my life? Listen, if we don't understand the process of how God works and how God wants to get this joy into our life, we're going to be confused. We're going to be frustrated. It's going to be sort of an up or down kind of roller coaster ride. And he doesn't want that for us. Because not knowing the process can actually add and bring more stress to our lives. And he says, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to just simply get you to understand what it is. And not knowing and not understanding, we can also inadvertently and unintentionally be fighting against what he's trying to get us to do. So he tells us, he says, I don't want you to do that. We need to understand the process. But there's also three parts to this process. The very first part is confusion. I want you to think about this. That's letter A, is confusion. The apostles started out confused. They're asking all these questions. They're saying in verse 17, what does he mean in a little while and after a little while? And Jesus says, I'm going to the Father. And he's still confused. They are still very, very confused. Listen, we don't get confused sometimes because of a lack of faith. We get confused because we don't understand what God is doing in our life. And that concerns us. It's disconcerting because of the fact that we don't understand the uncertainty in life. Right now, if I was to take a straw poll and say, how many of you are completely calm, cool, and collected with all the uncertainties that are going on in life? See, nobody's raising their hand. Because there's so many uncertainties. Well, it was the same way in Jesus' day. They had the same thing going on. Not quite like we do today, but some. They made a, they made a terrible mistake, though. The very first thing they did is they started asking each other. They started talking to each other. Jesus is sitting right there in front of them, and rather than them saying, Jesus, what are you talking about? Tell us what you mean. They started talking to each other. They asked each other first. It's imperative that we remember to build your faith in a time of confusion, you need to talk to Jesus first. Now, here's the problem. I believe a lot of Bible studies sometimes can just be a mutual sharing of ignorance because we are not asking Jesus first. And I think if we change that and we ask Jesus first and then discuss what his word says, then we'll have a much better understanding of really what he wants us to do. 
and the concept that he's trying to give us, the principle he's trying to talk to us about. But here's a real problem. The real problem for the apostles and for us is if we don't talk to Jesus at all. That's the real problem. Then we have some real issues. He says, I don't want you to do that. We need to talk to Jesus first. What does he say? In your time of confusion, if you're thinking and you're confused and you're distressed, talk to me first. Very simple. One of the first things he says, and Jesus says, that we should ask is, Jesus, show me what to do. When you're confused, do you really sit down and you get before Jesus and you say, I'm confused, I don't understand, show me the path to take. Show me the right way to go. If I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, show me. If I'm doing something that I'm doing wrong, let me know that so that it can be corrected. But we have to be willing to be corrected. We sometimes also need to learn to wait in the midst of the confusion. That was part of the apostles' problem. They were having to wait. Look at Hebrews 10.37 with me. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will, will come and not, will not delay. Listen. Hopefully everybody in here knows and understands that Jesus is coming one day. And by the looks of it, the time is growing shorter. All right? However, we don't know exactly when that is. In the terms of God's history and in terms of what's going on in the world, it may be just a little while. We don't know. There's a lot of things falling into place. But we don't know. Unfortunately, we can't always see what God is doing behind the scenes. That's why we get confused and that's why we get frustrated. One of the reasons I think God allows us to go through times of confusion and frustration is so that we will go to him and ask him. Listen, if I had all the answers or if you had all the answers, why would we need to go to him? Why would we want to go to him? We wouldn't. But he says, you know what? There's confusion. That's part of the process. It's there. There's uncertainty in life. There's uncertainty in the times that we live in today. And it was the same for his apostles then. But I want you to think about the answer that he gave them when they're talking about this question in verses 16 through 20. He gives them a really interesting answer. First, he says, you're going to weep. Then you're going to cry. Then you're going to lament. Then you're going to suffer. Why? Because B, there's going to be grief and there's going to be loss. There's going to be grief and there's going to be loss. That's another part of this process. He says there's some things in life that you're hanging on to that in order to have the joy of the Lord have to be taken away. Now, we don't like to have things taken away. But you know what? There's things that we're trying to hang on to that actually really suck the joy out of life. And he's trying to get us to understand that. He's trying to get us to say, you know what? These things that are taking the joy away from your life, you need to be willing to surrender them. Because you're clinging too tightly for the things in this world. Listen, my life, your life is not where the joy of the Lord is at. It's not on this earth. It's not in this place. 
It's not in your home. It's not in your building. You may have some peace and calmness in those places, yes. But the joy of the Lord is really not there. My future, your future, is in heaven and eternity. That's where our real joy is at. But it comes about in a couple of different ways. It's through a process of Jesus constantly injecting and working in our lives to put that joy into our life. So that we understand what it really is and what it looks like. He says there's going to be grief over sin in your life. But then joy is going to, the result is going to be joy because of the forgiveness that I give you. He says there's going to be grief over the loneliness that you might suffer. But you know what? He says the, rejoice, the joy is going to be the result is the fellowship that you're going to have with me. And other Christians. He says for every time you have a grief. There's going to be a counter joy. He tells us that throughout this. It could be the grief. The death of a loved one. Which is probably the deepest loss that we can feel. But he says then you know what. That's going to remind you that there is a real place called heaven. And one day you're going to be joined back with them. He tells us over and over again, grief is a part of this process. And it's part of the process to get to the joy. See, the process works through what we're going to call resurrection transformation. Resurrection transformation. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, your grief will turn to joy in verse 20. He didn't say, and this is important, he didn't say your grief is going to be replaced by joy. He said, your grief is going to turn to joy. There's a transformation that takes place. It's not a substitution. Look at what Psalm 30, verse 5 says from the New Living Translation. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen, joy comes not through any type of substitution, but absolutely through transformation. Part of that transformation comes because of a change in my heart. Towards what God is doing in my life. It's not through exchange. It's through transformation. We need to understand that principle. He's going to give us an illustration here in a minute. That will help us understand this better. Grief turns to joy. But it cannot be done through an exchange. If you're the kind of person that is constantly looking in life. And moving jobs. Because you're unhappy, you're going to struggle with this principle. Also, if you're the kind of person that thinks you have to have every new toy out there, a new phone, a new car, a new television, a new sound system, whatever it might be, you're going to struggle with this principle. Because this principle says you need to look at transformation, not substitution. Here's the problem. When we base our joy on substitution, we're really doing what the world does. The world thinks, some of you may be sitting here this morning, and if you really need to learn this principle if you're sitting here and you're thinking this, okay? Some of you may think in here, you know, I'm not very happy. I don't have much joy in my life. So, you know, because my circumstances are this way, maybe if I got a new spouse... 
and change my spouse, I'd have a lot more happiness and joy in my life. Jesus said, that ain't going to work. He says, that's not the way it's done. But the joy of Jesus, the joy of the Lord will set you free if you completely understand and apply this principle. But if you completely go the opposite direction and you try to do everything through substitution, all you're doing is trading one headache for another headache. And we need to really wrap our mind around that. It's not substitution. It has to happen through resurrection transformation. How do we know that? Look, the apostles saw this firsthand. They saw this when Jesus was put on that cross. They saw this when they were looking at him and they were thinking, listen, man, we followed this guy for three years. We've listened to him. We watched him heal people. We watched him raise people from the dead. And now he's going to die on the cross. It was probably the absolute worst thing they could possibly imagine was going to happen. But you know what? When Sunday morning came, and that cross was empty, and he wasn't in that grave, it was the best thing that could ever happen for them and us. That's transformation through resurrection. That's what he's talking about. Joy doesn't come through an exchange of circumstances. Now, here's the problem. It comes through a change in my heart and your heart to what Jesus is doing in our lives. It's all part of that process to get to joy. But we have to understand that process. He says, you're going to weep. You're going to mourn. You're going to grieve. But that's going to be turned to joy. He tells us this over and over and over again all throughout the New Testament. You know, Warren Worsby used to talk about this a lot. Now, for some of you younger folks, you may not know who Warren Worsby is. Most of us do. He said this. The way of substitution for solving problems is the way of immaturity. Immaturity. He said the way of transformation is the way of faith and maturity. We can't mature emotionally, physically, and spiritually by always trying to replace our broken toys. Now I want you to think about this for a second. Who as we grow older. Is trying to replace our broken toys. Us. Right. Who is trying to replace our broken toys. Even if there's not enough money in the bank to do it. Us. Jesus says that's not going to work. He said I want to take those things and remove some of those things from your life so you can understand what real joy is all about. I want to give to you everything that I have and can give to you to make sure that you understand. I want to take those things away and I want to complete you and make you whole and take those problems away from you. Because a lot of those things you're clinging to are problems. And I want to even take those things away that Satan is throwing at you. To bind your life and weigh you down. He says, I will give you the joy of the Lord. But he says, you have to understand the process. Paul understood this. Paul really understood this. Look at what he said in Philippians 3.10. He was really into the joy of the Lord. And he understood what it all meant. 
He says, I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. When's the last time one of you guys prayed, hey, man, I want to understand and know and have the power of Jesus' sufferings in my life? Probably not very often. Paul got it. He says, listen, Paul realized that they work together. The sufferings of Christ and the resurrection of Christ are combined, and they work together in our lives when we allow them to. So it begins with confusion. The apostles say, what's God doing? Then there comes a time of grief and loss. God's doing that to change me. He's doing that to mold me. He says, there's some old things in your life you may have to let go of. We often tend to try to hang on to those things. That's just part of our human nature. But he says, you know, he's going to come along and he's kindly and gently going to remove some of those things from us if we cling too tightly. Verse 21, he gives us a picture. He's painting a portrait for us, if you would. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. Listen, some of you have had some great anguish in your life. Some of you have, you know, suffered through parts of that. R.A. Torrey, the famous preacher, said that he had great pain in his life. He lost a daughter when she was only 12 years old. And after a time of grieving and sorrow, he went back to work and he was walking back to work one day. And he, he just couldn't stand it. The grief overwhelmed him. And he said he stopped and he leaned by a post, a lamp post, because this was years ago. And he said this. He said, at that very moment, just then, the fountain of the Holy Spirit, whom I had in my heart, broke forth with such power, I didn't understand it. I think I had never experienced this kind of joy before. It was the most joyful moment that I have ever known in my entire life. Joy also overwhelmed him. That's genuine joy of the Lord. We don't always understand when those times come or how they come, but they do come. Listen, not the joy, not the happiness that the world experiences or perceives. He's talking about a different kind of joy. We need to recognize that Jesus' death was not for eternity. Jesus' life was for eternity. Jesus' death and his future meant that we could have eternity in heaven with him. He tells us that. He also tells us as long as we live in this world, we're going to have some grief. We're going to have some problems. You know what? Just the way Jesus is trying to get us to understand, just the way when a woman has pain and anguish during the delivery of that baby, there's going to be pain and some anguish in your life. I understand and I know that it's painful for when a baby is delivered. I was there when all my girls were born. And I guarantee you it's painful because I got some of the marks still on my arms from Kathy digging in those claws. Okay? But yes, it was painful for her. Way more than it was me because mine was momentary. All right? But you know what? 
when that baby was laid on her chest and she looked at that newborn baby, she said, that's my baby. All that thought of pain and anguish was gone. It's the same way Jesus is trying to paint this picture. He says, you know what? It's not going to hurt. That pain is going to be momentary. He's transforming and turning the grief in our life into joy. Verse 22, he says this. So with you now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one takes away your joy. Listen, there's two very important things he says right here. He says, if it can be taken away, then it's not truly the joy of the Lord. Think about that for a second. He says, Jesus says, no one is going to take that joy away from you. If my source of joy can be taken away, then it's not joy, it's happiness. Because happiness is based on your current circumstances. So you have to remember there's a difference there. Now, a lot of people seek happiness and joy combined, and that's okay. But true joy of the Lord is different. It can never be taken away. It's not short term. If I do that, if I allow happiness to replace joy, then I have replaced it with a cheap imitation. That's a problem. That becomes a big problem. Because a lot of people think that joy and happiness are the same. They are not. They're not exactly the same. He said the second thing, he said, true joy comes through the presence of Jesus. He said, I will see you again and you will rejoice. Joy grows from Jesus' presence in our life. If you do not have Jesus in your life, you're not going to experience true joy. If you're here this morning and you don't have him as your savior and you're not allowing him to, to lead you and guide you, then you're not going to be very joyful. You're going to be sour. You're going to be grumpy. You're going to be hard-hearted and hard-headed. There's just no other way to say it. Here's a litmus test, okay? If joy is vacillating and coming in and out of your life and it's based on a current circumstance, then that ain't joy, that's happiness. And you've traded the joy of the Lord for the world's idea and version of happiness. That can be problematic for you. The process of joy also works differently than for us as believers than it does for unbelievers. He's going to say something here in a minute that's really interesting. Because we have to remember that there's a big difference. The process of joy for a believer is he says, you're going to have grief, and then you're going to have joy. The process for an unbeliever, he says, here's a big problem. They're going to have joy, and then they're going to have grief, and then they're going to have excruciating pain and eternal sorrow. So it's completely opposite. Number two, the second thing I have to do in order to have this joy is I have to practice genuine prayer. Practice genuine prayer. What does that mean? Well, the joy of the Lord comes through proper prayer. 
Verse 23 and 24. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, there's three parts to this part also. There's actually two, two overarching parts. If I want to have joy in my life, the more I ask in Jesus' name, the more my joy is going to be complete. Now, why is that? <clears throat> Listen, we're not asking for what we want. This is not a genie in the bottle, make a list wish. Okay? It's not a wish list. He says, I want you to ask for the things that you know I would want to happen in your life. He says, you ask in my name. I want you to think before you ask. So the first thing you have to do is ask. But then you also have to receive. You have to be willing to receive. You have to ask, and then you receive, and then your joy will be complete. Because if you don't receive it, if you don't ask, you can't get it. James says, you have not because you ask not. But also the problem comes along, if you don't receive what he gives you, then your joy is not going to be complete. And what you ask for may not be exactly what he sends. Sometimes we forget that. You know, a lot of people, I, this often confuses me. It confuses me. A lot of people go to God and they say, God, I'm, I'm praying to you today and I, I, I really want this in my life. And here's what I'd like to do. I want to do this thing or I want this thing. But Lord, if you don't want to give it to me, that's okay. I understand that you're busy and you've got a lot of people to take care of. And I know you can, I know you can give it to me. But if you don't want to give it to me, that's okay. Don't worry about it. If you're going to pray like that, why bother praying? I don't get it. You know, he says, ask and you will receive. If you're going to pray, pray like you mean it. Pray like you believe it. And ask with his purpose and plan in mind. There's a big difference. Some of you may be sitting there and say, well, oh my goodness, what's going to happen if I ask for something that God doesn't want me to have? Well, guess what? Just like any good father, he's going to say no. And just like any good child, you're going to go, but I want it. And he's going to say, well, is that really in alignment with my plan? Is that really in alignment with my purpose for your life? Is that something you really should have? He's going to bring it to the point where you'll understand. And what's going to take place is when he says no, he's going to bring you back to that place where you have to go through the process and you're going to start to grow you're going to start to understand and you're going to start to learn what it is Jesus really wants for you in your life. That's part of the process. Sometimes he's going to say yes. Sometimes he's going to say no. Sometimes he's going to say wait. The waiting is the hard one. We all understand that. But you know what? He's going to say yes a lot more than you think if you pray properly. And you pray in alignment with what he wants in your life. 
You have to ask, then you need to receive, and then your joy is going to be complete. Verses 25 and 27. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Listen, you'll never have the joy of the Lord and the joy of a joyful prayer life if you don't understand one thing. You have direct access to the Father. There is no in-between. There is no intermediary when it comes to that. Okay? Jesus says, we both love you. The Father and I both love you because you love me. Now, is there a mediator between God and us when we first become Christians? Before we become Christians? Absolutely. That's Jesus Christ. Because he died on the cross. He took our place. He carried our sins. I get that. But when it comes to praying to God, we have direct access to him. Scripture tells us that. Some people are a little uncomfortable with that direct access. Because they maybe worry a little bit about, um, I'm not worthy. Or maybe they feel like, well, if I pray directly to God, they're like the early Israelites. Those lightning bolts are going to come down and get me. <laughs> Jesus says that's not how it is. And he teaches us. Jesus teaches us how to pray to the Father in the model prayer. I want you to think about this. He doesn't say, oh, our heavenly St. Peter. He says, oh, our heavenly Father. We pray direct to the Father. He gave us the model prayer. Listen, when Jesus died on that cross, he died for you and for me. He died for both of us. We all kneel at the foot of that cross and ask forgiveness the exact same way. Jesus showed us how to pray. Direct to the Father. We can talk to Him. When you begin to realize and really understand that and recognize it, then you'll start having the true joy of the Lord. It makes us more willing to talk directly to God when we put that in our mind. Verse 28, Jesus gives, you know, Jesus gives us, this gives us Jesus' whole life in one verse, if you really think about it. He's saying goodbye to his, father, his disciples, but he says this. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. One word. When he came to the world, he was incarnated as man. The Son and the Father were incarnated as man. Listen, no one else can say that. No one else did that. We all come from the womb. He came from heaven. Nobody else can say that. Nobody else did that. He existed before his very birth. And when he said, I'm leaving... That was his resurrection and ascension part. He's going up in the clouds. He said, I'm going back to the Father. That's his glorification. He tells us. Verse 29 and 30. And Jesus' disciples said, 
Now you're speaking clearly without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you a question. This makes us believe that you came from God. Think about this. This is the night before he's going to die. Let's just refresh our memories for a second. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's talking to them. They're talking to him. They're having this conversation. He's been with these guys three years. He's been doing all the things that we talked about earlier. He's shown them who he is. They've witnessed it over and over again. This makes us believe that you came from God. Look at what, G, look at what he said in 32 and 30, 31 32. You believe at last. You can almost hear the joy in his voice. But a time is coming. Now watch this. It's like the toss of a coin, the flip of a coin, one side to the other. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered. Each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Listen. There's a third thing that we need to understand if we're going to have this joy of the Lord. Jesus had it. We need it. I need to accept God's peace. I need to accept God's peace. If you want true joy of the Lord, you have to do this. It's not optional. You will have to accept God's peace. Verse 33. I have told you these things... So that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen, we have all kind of high and lofty thoughts and goals of things to do and things to accomplish, places to go, things to see, whatever it might be. But you know what? There's turmoil and strife in this world. You guys were talking about it earlier. <laughs> Where do you find peace that really lasts? It's not out there. It's not even in here. It's in here. We can have a calmness and assurance in here, perhaps. But the peace that passes all understanding, the joy of the Lord is in here. Now, we're to have it so much that it's supposed to ooze out and bubble out and go to other people. Does your joy and peace, do you give that to other people? Or do you give them a hard time? It's a key point here, he says. Jesus said in two words the place to find peace. In me. In him. In me you may have peace. Which verse best fits you? I'm going to read here in just a second. Job said, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. Is that, was that your week? You know, th there's times when we've been there, right? We can't help it. We live in a world that's full of turmoil and strife. Some of you are right there right now. Or is it what Jesus said? I'm leaving with you a gift, Jesus said. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is not fragile like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. Listen, I think a lot of us 
sometimes live somewhere between those two verses, between those two statements. But we need to remember, we can have the joy of the Lord and the peace that passes all understanding when we have that joy of the Lord. There's three things about this peace also. And then we're going to close. It's not an absence of trouble. It's not an absence of trouble. It's peace in the midst of trouble. Peace in the midst of trouble. Listen, I don't know about you guys, but that's the kind of peace I need. When all hell is breaking loose around me, and I can see all these crazy things happening in the world, and I can sit there and I can wring my hands, or I can say, you know what, Jesus, I know you got it under control. I know you know what you're doing. I have no clue, and I don't want to know. I don't want to tell you how to take care of it, because it's not my job. But you know what? I know you do. And I know, even though I may not completely understand, I completely understand who's in charge. And it's not this world leader, it's not that world leader, it's not our president, it's not this guy or that guy, it's you, Lord. And that gives me the joy of the Lord. I need peace that lasts longer than a two-week vacation. I need peace that lasts longer than a week's worth of calmness and clarity at home or at work or at the volunteer center. It doesn't matter. You need peace that lasts. I need peace that lasts. It's peace in the midst of trouble. B, it's not peace of our circumstances. Two key words. Peace in Him. The peace is in Him. Don't miss the important promise here. He says very decisively, peace is available only to those who are in Christ and to those who allow Christ to be in them. If you're not truly in Jesus and he's not truly in you, guess what? You're going to have some struggles. Now there's a way to fix that, but only you can do it. Nobody can do it for you. When you're letting him lead the way, when you're following his direction, when you're doing what he says to do, when you're communicating and listening to him and sharing with him and praying to him and listening to his response, that's when you're going to find the peace. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can take that guilt, you can take that shame, and you can give it to Jesus. You can take that hurt, you can take that worry, that frustration, that confusion, and you can give it to Jesus. He tells us over and over again, you can take your plans and give those to Jesus. You can take your fears, your grief, your regrets, your, all those things, and you can give them to Jesus. But you have to do it. No one can do it for you. See, it's not the peace of escapism or not the peace of escape. It's not escape from our circumstances. It's overcoming our circumstances. He said he came and he overcame the world. That should give us some of that peace right off of there. Just that one statement. You know, a lot of times we'll try escapism in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's that vacation I was talking about. Sometimes it's watching television. Sometimes it's 
escaping into other leisure activities. Sometimes it's running away and says, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Right? But you know what? That's not peace. That's simply escapism. The problem is, maybe you're trying to do it with illicit drugs or alcohol. It doesn't matter. When you sober up or when you come back, the problem is still there. And most of the time it's worse because you haven't dealt with it. Escapism doesn't work. Listen, there's some cold hard facts here. He says, I have overcome the world. Nothing can change that. I want you to think about this for a second. Your anxiety, your worry, your frustration, your regrets, nothing's going to change that. Natural disasters can't change that. World War III, because we're hearing all this stuff about World War III possibly starting, that ain't going to change the fact that he's overcome the world. Absolutely nothing can change the fact that Jesus has come and overcome the world. That's the end of the story. You know the neat part about all this? Somebody said it earlier. I think it was Craig. We know the end of the story. As believers, we know the end of the story. That should give us some assurance for the joy of the Lord. Verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. He says, listen, you want to have peace? You have to be in me. I have to be in you. It's pretty simple. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. He said, if you listen to me and you follow my leading, then you're going to have joy of the Lord. He says, simply listen to me. So my closing question for you guys today is, who are you listening to? Who are we really listening to? It's very easy to listen to all these distractions and disruptions that somebody mentioned earlier in the world because they're screaming so loud. Turn them off. If you want to have joy in the Lord and you want to have peace and calmness and assurance of who you are and who Jesus is and what he means in your life, then turn that stuff off. He says he came and overcome the world. That's an encouragement to me. I don't know about you guys, but it's an encouragement to me. Because I'm not going to worry about whatever else is going on in the world. I got enough to worry about just taking care of my own life. Am I concerned about what's going on in the world? Yes. Can I change any of it? Probably not. You know, I thought about this a while back. If, 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 if Christians would take care of what they know they need to take care of in their own lives, and they would minister the way they're supposed to minister, and they would follow the Ten Commandments, would the world be a different place? I think so. I do. I really do. So here's your challenge this week. I want you to read some Bible stories. Take a few minutes, read some Bible stories where some of this stuff was really taking place. And you saw this resurrection transformation taking place throughout all these things. And the grief was turned to joy. Think about Joseph. He was in prison. God brought him out of prison. After all the things that Joseph went through, God brought him out of prison. Do you think he was joyful when he got out of there? I bet you he was. And, and what about 
Daniel in the lion's den. You think there might have been a little fear and trepidation when he's thrown in there to the lion's den? Even though he said, even if my God won't save me, I believe in him. You think there was joy when he was able to walk out there? How about Jesus? How about Jesus? All the stuff that he went through. You think there was joy in his heart and his mind when he got to go home and be with the Father? Do you think there should be joy in our heart and our mind when we get to go home and be with the Father? Listen. Here's the challenges of the week. The most powerful truth in all this process is when we look up here and we see an empty cross. Are you seeing an empty cross hanging around somebody's neck? Are you driving down the road and you see an empty cross? You remember, that cross is empty. Jesus is not up there. Because he is resurrected. And because he is resurrected, we have a brand new life in him. Praise God for that. When you pray, you need to pray like you anticipate an answer to your prayer. The next time you attempt to try to deal with your worry and stressors in life, don't use escapism. Use prayer. Use the assurance that he is in you and you are in him. Stop and take a minute and ask Jesus and really pray to him with a genuine prayer. Practice genuine prayer. A couple of practical things as we close. John 16, 33 is a great verse to memorize. He says, I have told you these things so that in me, in me again, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. But I want to back up to verse 30 for just a second. He says this. At the very end, the apostles say this to him. Now we know, Jesus, that you came from God. Jesus knows these are 11 guys who are going to take the message out into the world. And they're going to spread the gospel everywhere. This is the foundation of his army. This is the foundation of the movement of Christ coming to the rest of the world. He knows these 11 guys are it. The night before he goes to the cross. You're talking about cutting it close? The night before he goes to the cross. They say, we believe. Remember his response? At last. He didn't say, you know what? He said, what took you so long? If you're sitting here this morning, some of you may sitting, be sitting here thinking, you know what? It's too late for me. It's too late. I'm too old. I'm too young. I've sinned too many sins. I've rejected him too many times. You know what? Remember what that verse said. He didn't say that to anybody. He said, at last you believe. Good to have you home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy in our lives. We thank you for the fact that you work so much to us. 
and you work so much for us. Help us remember it's never too late to have you in our life. It's never too late to have that joy of the Lord and that peace, that calmness and assurance that you promise us. Father, there was two words that the apostles gave him as they're having this conversation. We believe. Father, that's the key to believe. And we pray that if anyone here is here today that does not know you as Savior and Lord, that they would simply say, you know what? Today, I believe. I need that joy, that assurance, that comfort, that calmness that Christ gives. And only Christ can give. The world can't give it to us. But you, Jesus, can. And we simply ask that you move in the hearts of those individuals today to draw them closer to you. If someone's here and they've made that decision, they've done that in the past, but they've never been baptized which is the first major act of obedience. And they would like to do that. Lord, we'd be honored to help them fulfill that. Oh, Lord, we live in a crazy world right now. And I pray that you would calm the hearts of all these members and attenders. And let us always be reminded that you were in control. You were in charge. Not all the things that are going on in the world. And we as individuals may not be able to do much. But collectively we can pray. And we can work together to stay united. To fulfill your mission and your purpose. Which is the great commandment and the great commission. A personal commandment. And a overall commission to your body of Christ. Father, we love you and we praise you. And we just thank you for the time that you've allowed us to spend this morning. Worshiping you, praising you, singing to you, and sharing your word. And we ask these things and thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can and would, stand please.
shall carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus.